Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We're going to continue our study on firstborn and although this is session two, it's really our third sort of session in dealing with the topic, I want to apologize at the outset for not having the full note ready by this evening. It is ready, uh, just that we've been extremely busy. And I didn't want to photocopy the note without it being edited first. And so just to check that all the grammar and spelling is all in place. Amen. But we will give that out to you on Sunday together with session three. I've actually cut down this session quite drastically just because um, it was covering two aspects. And I really wanted to give the second aspect full coverage on its own so we'll call that session three but for for tonight we're going to deal with something that's very basic and almost fundamental to some of the things that we're going to highlight later on in terms of our firstborn representation in Christ and so what I've done is I've just highlighted on the note that you have the scriptures that we will be dealing with tonight okay without the commentary but you will get that on Sunday. Amen. So are you ready to explore the word of the Lord together? Amen. <clears throat> so we, again, this is foundational laying uh, to what we're going to explore more exhaustively and more comprehensively at a later point in time. Okay. And so I've entitled this firstborn identity in Christ. Firstborn identity in Christ. That is what we are after. The firstborn teaching is all about the recovery of our firstborn identity in Christ. And I want to encourage you to um, really focus and trust God that this would be recovered. Every release of the word of the Lord must always culminate in the formation of the nature of God in us. We kept saying that doctrine or truth is not so much doctrine as, it much, as much as it is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So whenever we discuss doctrine or truth, our doctrine must always culminate in a revelation of the person of truth. Okay? And the imbibing of that nature or person in our hearts, in our lives. It must be reflected so that ultimately we don't accumulate a set of manuals, a set of principles that we can intellectually simply espouse and articulate and regurgitate and repeat. What we are really after is a life transformed where everything you've heard has now taken on flesh and the word becomes flesh and lives and dwells among men. Otherwise, um, truth then simply becomes a kind of mantra that we simply are able to articulate, espouse, with very, very little tangible expression. What we are after really is a life transformed by the word. Remember in one of the sessions, 
very early on in the segment of the primacy of the word of the Lord, we taught that the two parables in Matthew 13, the one of the seed and, and the sower, um, and the one of the farmer who sowed seed and the enemy sowed tears. In the first parable, the seed was the word of the Lord. But by the time you get to the end of Matthew 13, in the second parable, the seed now becomes the son of the kingdom. And the seed, the good seed sown was the son of the kingdom. So that which is word must ultimately manifest as a son. You must ultimately be described like Jesus was described. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's we, what we are after. An incarnate word made flesh. So, the recovery of our identity in Christ involves us becoming everything he is. Now, that's a simple, very basic statement, but it's so profound if you truly understand it. So, I, Randolph, must become on the earth. I'm not talking about the afterlife. I'm talking about while I'm on the earth. I must, on the earth, become everything that Jesus Christ is. When he lived on the earth for 33 and a half years, as a man, he modeled to all humans the possibility of representing God entirely and accurately. He is the pattern son. He set an example for us, uh, proving that where the first man, Adam, failed, he came as the second man, and he, or the last Adam, second man, last Adam, and he came to show us how that in human flesh, the divine could rest fully. So what we are after now in our sort of quest is this. Everything that he is, I can, in my humanity, become. I'm not waiting for the afterlife to attain my, my perfection in him. But I can do that as a man. And I can walk as Jesus walked in the flesh, modeling and portraying the entirety of all that God represents. A scripture that I want to allude to on Sunday is this in Colossians. It says the entirety of the Godhead dwells, well the word God is nowhere used in scripture. It's a, it's a theological term coined by theologians. Everyone say God it. So we refer to God it, we refer to Father, Son, and Spirit. But the scriptural uh, equivalent is deity. The, the Bible uses the word deity, which theologians have sort of uh, paraphrased as Godhead, a reference to the entirety of, of all that God is, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, in Colossians it says that the fullness of deity dwells how? It says bodily in Christ. The word bodily there is corporeally. It's called the corporeal principle, where anything spiritual, anything divine, can manifest itself in, in physical flesh. That's, that's the corporeal principle. Now think of the statements, making a profound statement. It's saying the fullness of deity dwelt in Christ when he was a man, physically on the earth bodily dwelt in him okay so then you and i can also 
have the fullness of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit dwelling in my humanity. That's a profound thought. The fact that I as a man, an ordinary human being living in Durban, South Africa, can in my humanity, in my body, have the fullness of the Godhead living in me. Okay? And I'll explain further how we get to that point on Sunday, but I want to I go there because there are certain realities you must understand before we get there. Okay? I'm showing you the end. So let's back up. Tell your neighbor we're backing up. Right? We're backing up so we know how to get there. Because Peter said an amazing thing when Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? And he said, who do you say I am? Jesus said this, you are the Christ. Now what dwells in Christ? The fullness of the of deity bodily. So when, Jesus, when Peter said you are the Christ, comma, what? What's the next statement? Son of the living God. In an earth-based, listen to me very carefully, in an earth-based natural context, a physical world of matter and space. If you are living in the real world, the year and now, the only way the Christ principle can leave the unseen, supernatural, spiritual realm and coming into an earth-based, physical, seen context is by a principle called Christ. But Christ can only manifest in the earth by the container called Son. Son, listen carefully, in an earth-based context, Son is the only principle that can fully manifest Christ. And in Christ, you have Father, Son, and Spirit, the fullness of deity. God in His wisdom, now I'm speaking mysteries, and please don't let this go over your head. I'm speaking to you as though you are mature in the Lord. Paul says, we speak what? Mysteries among the mature. Not so? Tell your neighbor, we are, we are mature in Christ. So we can receive these things. What I'm, ta- what I'm saying to you might sound confusing, but please don't let it confuse you. I'm saying Christ contains the fullness of deity, Father, Son, and Spirit. But Christ, in an earth-based reality, physically on the planet, can only manifest all that He is in a container called Son. Sonship is the only vehicle that has the capacity in real life to express the fullness of all that God is. So the Son would stand up and say, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the... You've seen the Father. To the Son, the Spirit is given without measure. In Son, you have the fullness of Father and Spirit. And I'll show you later on. He gives the Spirit as a guarantee for our inheritance. He gives the Spirit as a first fruits, the Scripture says. To later manifest the fullness of Father and Son. Amen? Tell your neighbor, don't worry for now. All these things will be unpacked. (laughs) I can't wait to get in there. Okay, I'm jumping a bit ahead. Again, I'm just throwing something out for you to consider. I will walk you through the scriptures to arrive at that conclusion. Let's back up for now. Now, our focus area is simple for this session. We are what Christ is. Say that with me. We are what Christ is. So everything he is, it's God's predetermined will that I become. 
in my humanity on the earth. It's an amazing principle. So we're going to simply walk you through the scriptures to uncover this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 and 17 says the following. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children is also is of God and fellow is with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we might also be glorified with Him. Hebrews 2.10 says, It was fitting for Him, that is Christ, for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing, what? Many sons unto glory. Glory there is doxa in the, in the Greek, and it relates to the exact representation of God, the reputation of God, all that He is, the fullness, the substantive um, God that He is, His heaviness. The, the equivalent is the Old Testament kabod, for glory. It's the weight, it's the grandeur, it's the fullness of everything that makes God, God. The Bible says it's, it behoves Christ. It was fitting for him. For whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing, son, in bringing many sons to what? To that very substance, to all that God is. What is the objective of Christ? He wants to bring every single son of God into the fullness of all that he is. So that as Christ stood on the earth and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Every single one of us has got that capacity to fully represent the Father in our humanity. He wants to bring you into the same power, privilege, status that he enjoyed while he walked on the earth. You have full inheritance or heirship in God. Now go back to Romans 8. Romans 8, he says something phenomenal. He's saying, if you read it again, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So it is His Spirit testifying to my spirit, validating and confirming the fact that I am God's Son. I will share with you on Sunday more about the fullness of the Holy Spirit's function in the earth in the present season. It's not so much about the gifts, while that's important. It's not so much about the display of demonstration and power, while that's important. The Spirit's preoccupation is the development of sonship in every son of God. He testifies with my spirit validates and confirms the fact that I am the Son of God. Now, he's the full ambit of his job is not complete. He's not just there to give you a sense of assurance in your own heart, a testimony, confirming with you that, hey, Georgia, you are definitely God's Son. Why? The Spirit in you tells your spirit that you are God's Son. Let me just say this. The agency of witness or, or the process of witness, rather, is from spirit to spirit. It's never from spirit to soul. Because sometimes the mind of our souls plays havoc with us. 
There are days you get up and you don't feel like a son of God. And if you go by your feelings or what your mind is telling you, guess what? You're going to vacillate in your identity. Right? And I want to encourage you. That's why it's so important. The process of testifying, affirming, validating sonship. It's always from His Spirit to my Spirit. But He, the Spirit of truth, He's the fullness of his job is not, does not stop with simply a testimony of your sonship. It's the development and the maturation of your sonship into everything that Christ is as God's firstborn son. Right? That is, where, that is what we are after and that is where we are going. I don't know about you, but I want... You see, when we come into the kingdom... We come into the kingdom as technons. Technon is the Greek word for son that is used in John chapter 1 verse 12. As many as received him, he gave power to be called the sons of God. So if you receive him, you have your legal status changes from out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of, 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 of light or of God or the kingdom of his dear son, as Colossians would say. You have legal status, but you are not mature. You need to grow into your more, your maturity in the Lord. Right? The Greek word for a mature son is euios. So when you get saved, you are not mature. You are son of God, but you're not a mature son. You are son of God, and should you die, you will go to him in heaven. But while living on the earth, you have got to grow and elevate in your maturity in God. The Spirit's preoccupation is to work within you, especially in terms of your identity, and to affirm and sort of facilitate the development of your sonship until the Father can say of you, like he said of Jesus at his baptism at 30, which speaks of maturity, this is my euios, this is my beloved Son, in whom? I am well pleased. We must get to that development. Jesus went through that. And so will all of us go through that. Amen. I don't just want to be a son. I want to be a mature son. Everyone say maturity. Read the scripture again. Now, listen. Part of the spirit's preoccupation is not just the testifying of our sonship. Spirit to spirit. It says here, if, I like this, if children, if sons, what's the next step? Is I'm not just a son. I am an heir. And notice what it says. I'm an heir of God. That's a mind-blowing statement right there. Who would like to be in some will somewhere? You know the statement, where there's a will? No. Where there's a will? I want to be in it. <laughs> where there's a will, there's a way is archaic, obsolete. The new phrasing is, where there's a will, I want to be in it. Right? Make sure you're in the will of some uh, rich person. I mean, on, the, on his death, uh, right? The book of Hebrews calls it the death of the testator. Right? The will becomes active. Right? And our testator, Christ Jesus, died. He paid the price. Right? And so he's, he's activated a will of the Father. And let me give you some good news. You're in that will. And you have an inheritance. Right? 
But I like it what it says. And you know, your inheritance is not cause. I know some of you are thinking. <laughs> it's not cause, houses, buildings, all of that. It says, what, what is your inheritance? Your heirs of what? You are heirs of God himself. God is your inheritance. Right? The Levites, there were 12 tribes in Israel. The Levites were the tribe from whom the priests were drawn. And they served and worshipped in the tabernacle, serving God and Israel. But they were not given any inheritance in land. Because the Lord said this. The Lord's actual words were, For I will be your inheritance. Now when God is your inheritance, what more do you want? Because if you, if you have Him, you have everything else. Amen. You know, this is my new quest. My new cry as we've been fasting, as I pray, is God, I'm praying I want to know you more fully. All that you are, let it become all that of who I am. May it be swallowed up in all of, of you. May you increase, but may I decrease. I mustn't decrease to make you increase. John 3.30 does not say, I must decrease so that you can increase. John 3.30 says, may you, may Jesus, or may he increase and I must decrease. My decrease will only be in response to the reality of his nature increasing in me. So repeat after me, I am an heir of God. You can write that big on your mirror. Right? The heir of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Heir of God. But look what it says. Fellow heirs with Christ. Hey? Fellow heirs with Christ. This is, it's, it's different. Yes, it's true. I'm an heir of God. But when, when Paul adds, I'm an heir of God in exactly the same degree as his eternal son is. It changes everything. I'm not just one of the many other sons that he has in his kingdom that has some form of access to some aspects of, the, of all that he possesses and the things that he is. I'm an heir of him in exactly the same degree. Strength that his eternal son, the eternal Logos is. Now that changes everything. All that the Christ the Son is privy to, I am. All the status that he enjoys, I too. And I'll prove this to you throughout the scriptures. That's exciting. That's the best news anybody could give me. To come to me and say, Randolph, I've just got news. You know when you get those attorneys call you upon the death of someone and you know that person put you in your will. The person dies and the attorney calls you. Please come to a meeting or come to a briefing or come and pick up this or whichever. You know, hey, excitement. What did he leave for me? What did he leave for me? You go happy, right? Well, the Lord has left something for you, and it's simply this, God. You're heir, you're an heir of God. And to all that he is, listen carefully, your elder brother, our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus himself, who paid the price for your sonship to engraft you. You know, Jesus is not there saying, hey, thank you, Father, see what I've done. I've paid the price. I brought many sons unto glory. He's not just saying, I brought you into the kingdom. I want to bring everybody up to where I am. That's why Paul says, we are seated with him at the right hand of the Father. He's not just there saying, check Father all the sons. No, the Lord is saying, 
These are my, um, and Hebrew says, he says he's not ashamed to call us brothers. So he puts us on the same platform. That is mind-blowing, staggering truth. He is God's eternal firstborn son. Our topic is firstborn. So if that reality is true, my inheritance then is also firstborn. Because he is the firstborn. And I said to you in Romans 8, for those whom he foreknew, Romans 8, 29, he also predestined so that they might be conformed to the image of his son, that he might become the firstborn where? In many brethren. All that he is, he desires for, to bring you up to. Amen? Amazing truth. Eh? Right now, if you I will stop chasing prosperity, wealth. Just chase that one thing. And I'll prove to you later, all other things will start to gravitate towards the firstborn. Everything will start to gravitate. This is the new technology, the new truth that God is releasing. I'm telling you, it's going to open up a brand new world for us. Brand new world of possibilities. Amen? So, let's go to the next scripture. Firstborn relates to inheritance and birthright. Tell your neighbor we have the birthright. The birthright is going to become a topic of quite intense discussion in the series. I want to encourage you, please start studying birthright, particularly how Esau sold his. And why does the Bible say, Esau, I hate? In Micah 1, God said, Esau, I hate. But Jacob, I love. Two men's attitude to something called birthright. How one despised it, and how one did everything in his power to receive it. He who has the birthright has access to all of his father's estate. Double portion. The right of inheritance. The right of headship in his father's absence. The invocation of a verbal blessing. A right to take care of the welfare of the rest of the brothers. And the privilege of representing his father in executing his father's purposes on the earth. All those things we'll unpack. But let me just say, if you look at all that we are presenting, and you look at it disdainfully and say, I know this thing about inheritance, God is my heir, firstborn, all of it. And you walk away, and like Esau, you despise what the privilege God has given you. God says, I hate you. Strong words. Eh? We don't like to hear teachings like this. Eh? Let me just say this. This is the most dangerous series you're ever going to hear. For if after you've, ho- you've heard all this, and you walk away from it, and you, you live a lifestyle in terms of, your, for example, your personal purity, and the way you, 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 you regulate your life. And your lifestyle depicts your attitude to your birthright. And you walk away from it. God is saying, if you only knew what I put in front of you, right? you would have treated it with so much more esteem. Amen? So, do you love God? Do you love your inheritance? Just sheer privilege, eh? And we'll talk more about redemption later on in the series. But let's just go quickly in the rush now. First point, as Christ is, so are we in this world. I love the scripture. 1 John 4, 17. By this love is perfected with us, so that we might have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this present world. As he is, so are we where? 
not in the world to come where? Now. It says, as Christ is, so are we in this present world. Circulate the word we. Just put the corporate. First one is always a corporate reality. It's a private, personal individual. And we all have a personal responsibility in reference to it. But at the end of the day, this must be a corporate expression. As he is, so are we in this world. And I shared with you how that to become like Christ, the process is receiving, hearing, and responding accurately, obediently to the word of the Lord. Amen? In your note, attaining, imbibing the reality of the firstborn is not going to happen any other way except by the word of truth. Okay? Remember that Jesus was full of grace. Not so? Jesus was full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. We beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Let me ask you this question. How do you receive grace? How does grace come to you primarily? Through the word of the Lord. Right? Um, when Paul left the Ephesian elders, what did he say to them? Acts 20, 32. Right? I commend you to the word of His grace that is able to build you up. Jesus, the Bible says, the word made flesh was full of grace. What we're going to need to develop this is grace from the Lord. Grace relates to the quintessential fabric and nature of everything that makes God, God. God is not, a grace is not simply unmerited favor. It's the very substance that constitutes God as God. If He's our heir, guess what we must, if we are full, if we are heirs of God, the thing that defines Him must define us. I must be full of grace. Paul, what did Paul say? I am what I am by the grace of God. I work, yet not I, but grace that works with me. So even our understanding of grace is going to be enlarged because identity, Paul said, I am. Who or what I am, identity, by grace. If you are graceless, your identity is going to be dented. Full of grace. How does grace come to you? Grace comes to you by the word of the Lord. And that's a separate study altogether, but just thought I'd mention it here. But look at these scriptures, James 1.18. In the exercise of his own will, he brought us forth how? By the word of truth. He brought us forth by the word of truth. So that we would be what? A kind of? First fruits among his creatures. First fruits and firstborn are very closely related concepts. Okay? First fruit and firstborn. Peter says it like this You are born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God that lives and abides forever. How am I born again? It says by receiving the word of God. The seed of the word, sperm of the word, the seed. Uh, changes my nature. I'm born again by the word. This year, he says in James 1, 18, James says, we were brought forth as sons by the word of truth. 
so that we all would be a kind of first fruits of all of his creation. All of creation is looking to the sons of God to reveal the fullness of all that they are. We're going to be the first fruits of creation to reflect fully all that God is. And then all of creation will heal itself as this happens, right? The creation groans for the manifestation of what? The sons of, of God. Second Peter 1, 2 says, Grace, notice how he starts, grace and peace be. Peter knows what do sons of God need? Grace. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, everyone say by these. By these, he's referring to the word of the Lord, the promises in God's word. By these, he has granted unto us precious and magnificent promises. So that, everyone say, by them. So, if the word of God with all of its promises, Peter says, by them, you might become partakers of your inheritance. Partakers of the divine nature. Question, are you an heir of God? Come on, answer me. Are you a joint heir with Christ Jesus? How are you going to access all of this resource? You're going to need grace. And grace comes to you by the word of God. By your participation, being a partaker or a shareholder, this Greek word means, to take part in a shareholder. I want part of that divinity. Whatever God is, I, I'm grabbing my share. Right? The fullness of my inheritance. And that only happens by the exchange of the word of God to you. The Word of God is quick and powerful. The Word of God contains the fullest expression of God. Remember what Jesus did on the two men, with the two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? The Bible says He opened the law, the prophets, and later on the Psalms, and He led Him, He explained to them of Himself in the Scripture. Led Himself. If you ever going to see Christ being led out to you, it's only going to happen one way. He will come to you as in and through the word of God. No other way. I wish this thing could happen easier. I wish I could tell you he's going to come by dreams and visions. I wish I could tell you fast and pray on some mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And God's going to supernaturally appear to you and you're going to be like him. God in his wisdom simply says... No, all of that is true and has a place. But take my word, your attitude and approach to my word. Because from my word, I'm going to reveal myself. And as you see me, so you will become like me. We want the inheritance, not so. But people don't want the process. The process is love the word, read it, study it, meditate in it. Because that process is going to be your pin code. To access, the open the door into deity. Father, Son, Spirit. It's going to be the way. You know, that's why when I, when I take this book, it's not a dead letter. When I open, I'm opening up the will to see what did he say about me? What of my inheritance did he leave for me in the book? That's why Jesus said, it, uh, it is Psalm 40, in the volume of the book, 
it is written concerning me. When he stood up after he was led um, by the spirit to be tempted of the devil in the wilderness, and he came back and he read the scroll of Isaiah. Today the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach, etc., etc., etc. Right? Closed the book and he handed it back to the attendant. And he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. What happened? The text became flesh. And what, the, what is the process? He read of himself in the word. What he saw in the word took on a living form. So if we in our fleshly humanity are going to represent all that God is, we can never neglect the process by which we're going to access our inheritance, and that is by the scriptures. Christ has chosen to reveal himself in the present season, in the present dispensation, in and through his word. And so, listen carefully. Look at the next verse. He appears, we see him, and we are like him. Question, let's read the verse. First John 3. Okay, I'm going to go a bit faster. Okay, tell you never put your seatbelts on. First John 3, verse 1 to 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called the children of God. That's amazing scripture right there. You know why you're a son? You're a son because he loves you. Sonship is an expression of the love of the Father. Uh, we prayed here last night and I was reading the scripture from Romans 8. It says something to the effect that we are able to overcome. We overcome overwhelmingly through him that loved us. You know, love is a very empowering feeling. You can overcome when somebody loves you. Just, if it, just on a human level, when you, when you acknowledge that someone loves me, you know how empowering that is. You can go through a heavy time just knowing the knowledge that I am loved is in itself an empowering feeling. And Romans 8 says we overcome overwhelmingly. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Because John says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons or the children of, of God. As such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Question, why will you be like him? Come on, work with me. Why will you be like him? It says, we will be like him for, why? We will see him as he is. So what is the prerequisite for being transformed into everything he is? You've got to see. Now, I've just demonstrated to you, how do you see him? He comes through, right? It's not seeing him in a vision at night, he appears in your room, some ethereal thing, you know, uh, some angelic visitation, all that's good, and there's a place, I long for that too. <laughs> but let me just tell you, when I'm studying the Bible, next to the pool or in my office or sitting in my bed, casually, and wow, he jumps out of the scripture, and I see Christ, guess what? 
The Bible says, every time I see him, I have set up a process to become like him. I only become like what I see. No sight, no transformation. Poor sight, incomplete transformation. But full sight, total transformation. Amen? This scripture, many people postpone to some um, time based on the eschatological view in, when he will finally appear in human flesh. It has a place, but I'm not waiting for that moment. I want to see him now. Amen? You know what, 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 what Paul said about Christ? From now on, we know not even Christ after the flesh. We know no man. You know, the requirement for an apostle was that he must have seen the Lord. Yet Paul was an apostle. He never ever walked with the Lord. But he said, I knew him how? I knew him by revelation. Did not see nothing physical of him. But his internal sight was open to everything Christ was. And I want to encourage you, you can see him. See him in the word. Next time you read and... Or if you're in a Bible study, a Sunday morning or some conference, and your spiritual father or some other uh, teacher or apostle or prophet or whichever is teaching the word of the Lord, always leave the building. Don't say, I want to learn new truths, new catchphrases, new quotes, new principles. Your desire was, Lord, must be, Lord, I want to see you. Because if I see you, I know I'll be transformed to be like what I see. You always become like what you see. And there are many scriptures like this. Let's just go on quickly. Colossians 3 and verse 1 to 4. It's an amazing portion here. It says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Now, question, are you seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Yes, you are. Keep seeking those things which are above, where Christ is seated, where? At the right hand of God. And Paul in Romans would say, we are seated in Christ Jesus, at his right hand. But then he says, okay, if that is your reality, you have personal responsibility in verse 2. Your responsibility is then, set your what? Set your Mind where? On things above where you... Sorry, on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden where? With Christ in God. Amazing statement. My life is hidden with Christ in, in God. Now these are like Corollaries, if I want of a better word. Because 2 Corinthians 5 says, you know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new. Teacher, old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, right? Who has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in who? Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. This verse, Bible is saying, but Christ is in God. Who's in who? <laughs> God, the point is Christ in an earth-based context has the capacity to fully represent God. God will squeeze himself into any Christ principle. And the Christ principle in an earth-based context can only be manifest in sonship. You are the Christ son of the son of the living God. But that Christ dynamic 
is in itself is in God. Now this Bible says, this verse says, my life is hidden with Christ. Now I want to get this into your mind. Everyone say with him. Never divorce yourself from him. It's always with him. Stop even saying, I'm trying to, trying to regulate my speech these days. Stop even saying, it's not me, it's Christ. No, it is you because you and Christ are so one. He who is joined to the, to, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Right? Sam said this, uh, it, it hit me. The moment you say things like that, you negate your representation. Because you see yourself as divorced from him. So even in how you communicate, although it's not a prideful thing that we're saying it's us, we know it's Christ in us. But there's no distinction between him and I anymore. So I can use language that I, me, yet fully representing him. Amen? So I can say to a person, your sins are forgiven you. And I don't need to labor the point it's really not me forgiving sins it's christ in me forgiving no i just speak as a man but fully representing christ your sins are forgiven you come into the kingdom right roman catholics have taken that principle and distorted it but it's valid in the kingdom amen say it with christ say union with christ because if he's firstborn let me say he wants to he wants to take you and draw you into entirety of his firstborn status and privilege. Everything he is, I am. That's how I entitle this. When you get the note, um, you will see. I'm trying to find my first page. At the top here, you'll get this full note. As the focus, I put, we are everything Christ is. Right? Amen. Tell your neighbor, you can bear these things now. You can bear these things now. Amen. Then it says, for you have died. Huh? All of these things hinge upon your death. <laughs> All of these things hinge upon your death to the flesh. You're dead to a wrong estimation of who you are in Him. Tell you never, we have died. So I'm speaking prophetically. Die to a wrong estimation of who you are. Die to sometimes, we present these things, and some of you feel, hey, I'm ineligible. I'm not worthy. Somebody else but not me. Dive into that perception. Kill it tonight. When you leave the building tonight, you must say, not with pride or arrogance, but with confidence, I'm God's firstborn son. I'm an heir of God. I'm not just any heir. Whatever Christ is in terms of his, in, as, in terms of his inheritance, he put me alongside himself. I'm not just an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. As he has access, so do I. Right? All things he can do, I can do. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. I am seated with him. So I set my mind. That's why Paul says in Colossians, start thinking like it. Tell you never set the mind. Come on, set the mind. In fact, maybe you have to upset the mind to set the mind. Upset the wrong thinking, unearth it, dislodge it, and start to install this kind of thinking into your system. Don't walk around weak, feeble, and let the circumstances of life get to you. Right? I'll share with you later God's methodology for extracting firstborn identity from you is to put crisis in your world. <laughs> the 
The crisis in Egypt was about one thing and one thing only. Let my firstborn son go. All the drama, all the, was about one thing. Firstborn is coming out. Amen. Hallelujah. Crisis can be turned into kairos. An opportune moment. Amen. Now, yeah, verse 4, I really want to focus on. We've done verse 1, 2, and 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 says, For when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will be, sorry, when Christ, who is my life, is revealed, then also will you be revealed? How? With Him in glory. I like this. When Christ appears, where is your life appears, or is revealed rather, you will be revealed with Him in glory. That is not so much His revelation to me. It's, our, it's my revelation with Him to others. Changes it completely. Amen? Well, that for later on. Some things we can't bear now. <laughs> Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror. And you know what that mirror is? What's that mirror? The Word of God, James 4. right? Beholding as a mirror, the Word. The glory of the Lord, the representation, everything that God is. We are being what? Transformed into what? The same image. In other words, whatever you see of Him revealed through the mirror of His Word, you will be transformed to be like that from one level of glory to the next level of glory. This is an ever-progressive uh, change. Amen? Ever-progressive change. Again, the principle, sight is the prerequisite. As you see, so you are changed. I'm laying all of this as a foundation because over the next few weeks, we're really going to unpack firstborn realities. And my prayer to all of you is, at each session, come here and say, God, let me see this. I don't want to just intellectually go to the notes and understand it in my soul. I want to see a spiritual reality here because I will only be transformed if I see Christ in it. Let me just say, revelation is a powerful thing. Education is one thing. But revelation is a complete... I can sit here and educate you. And you can leave here purely educated, but nothing revealed. Right? And transformation not, doesn't come because you, are, you, you have knowledge or you have been educated. Change comes because you have seen Christ in the truth of what you've learned. Manifest. And the more you see Him, the more you are changed to be like Him. Next, next page, quickly. Christ is the firstborn in us. This we've dealt with. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Okay. Let's just go through it for the sake of time. We know that all things work together for the good to those that love God. And to those that are called according to His purpose. His purpose, contextually in this passage, refers to the fact that that He made you as His Son in His image. And He desires for you to be His firstborn Son. That is His purpose. I know we use the scripture when things are going bad in our lives. And we say all things are working together for my good. Don't worry. And we use this to assure ourselves. Don't worry. At the end it's going to work out. Yes, maybe that's an element. That's a principle. But contextually, the whole thing about Romans 8, 28 and 29 is the development of the firstborn 
stature in you. In other words, God, listen, if, if you are focused upon the development of the image, His image in you as firstborn, God will cause all things to work together for this end, the development of your maturation in your sonship. Amen? He will certainly do that. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would become the firstborn among many brethren. The word among the is a wrong translation. It's Greek. The Greek is en, which literally means in. It's not among, it's in. And we've discussed that at length previously. So I don't want to go uh, through the scripture um, too much, simply because of, of time. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. An amazing portion of scripture here. It was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those, that's us, who are sanctified, here's the key, we are all from one Father. Christ is of the Father, is the begotten of the Father. Matthew shared a beautiful word, thought now, I think today was it, about the Son who is in the, John 1 says, the Son who is in the bosom of the Father has explained Him. Who explains the Father? Only the Son. What explained Him means to lead Him out, to fully represent Him. So question, who explains the Father? Only a Son. It says the Son is in the bosom of the Father. The Father begets the Son. And this verse is telling us a profound truth. That the eternal Son of God issues forth from the Father. But so do we. We're all from one Father. Everyone says Son of God. The word of means, it means the Son is of God. It's not just a term. It means the Son comes from God. And as the capacity to have everything that God the Father has. When you say I'm a son of God, and I think we've cancelled sufficiently the notion that we are not Christians. You're not a Christian. The world calls you that. You are a son of God. As many as received him, to them gave you the power to be called Christians. It doesn't say that. <laughs> it, the, the African government might call you Christians. You know the word Christians is only found once in the Bible? Right? In the book of Acts, the Bible says, and they call them Christians. God doesn't call them Christians. The people, the society label them Christians. And it's a nice term, it's a good term, because those are like Christ. But that's not our true life. Our true identity is we are a son of God. Next time you fill out those uh, official forms and they've got religion there, put son of God. Next time, if there's no, like, normally they have the blocks there. If there's no blocks, next time I'm going to write there, firstborn son of God. You know why you want to keep reminding yourself? Tell you never set your mind. Right now, I'm, I'm speaking about it. I am, I am saying it. I'm thinking it. When I worship privately with my prophetic songs on the piano, I'm singing stuff, I'm singing scriptures. I'm saturating my thoughts. Getting it into my thinking. You are God's firstborn. Amen. I might be lastborn, 
in the Bonmore family. I'm the last of six children. Like Gideon, I'm the least in my father's house, he said, of the tribe of the Barnwells. Right? But in God's mind, I'm first. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm first. I like this. We are all from one father. Listen carefully. And here's the powerful. When I was studying this, gratitude fills my heart to Christ Jesus himself. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Aish, don't play. That's an amazing thought there. When you pray tonight, talk to Christ Jesus. Say, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. You were not satisfied just to be the only son. It was your express desire. Hebrews says, to bring many sons unto, unto glory. And when you do, you're not even ashamed to stand before your father and say, Father, see my brothers. All issued forth from the same bosom, your womb. Right? A Dalfortis. We all come from the same womb. He is not ashamed to call them brothers. And he's saying, I will proclaim your name, my father, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise. Brother is Adelphos. Brethren, Adelphos. It means those that issue forth from the same womb. Those brought forth in the same character and quality. Whatever character and quality he, Christ is, so are we. Right? He's not ashamed to call us brothers. Okay? And so it's an amazing thing to meditate. And then when you meditate on these scriptures, as I take this one pager, Read the scriptures and let the spirit of revelation and understanding open your mind to some of these. Simply the awesome privilege that God has given us. It's an amazing, an amazing privilege. Amen. Uh, my vocabulary has been enlarged each time I pray. I'm praying this stuff, talking to the Lord about it. Not with my express gratitude. The theme of my personal gratitude recently has been redemption. And when you understand that, you were not just redeemed from hell to go to heaven. There's an infantile, inaccurate understanding of what it means that God redeemed you. He made you his heir. He made you his son to access all um, that he is. Oh, by the way, the words redeem, redeemer, redemption. Um, expressions of the thought of redeem in the book of Ruth appears 20 times in four chapters. You want to know what redemption is? Read that, read that whole story again. See how God transformed us from orphanity, from the spirit of Moab, and he brought us into fathering that redeems our life from destruction. Amen? David said he redeemed me from a horrible pit. We'll talk about redemption later. Quickly, let's go. We are the chosen of God in Christ. I like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us where? Everyone say, in Him. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Amen. Aren't you glad you're in Him? Levi, aren't you glad you're in Christ? 
You have a special place. You're in Christ. You are chosen in Him. Oh, my privilege. Thank God. Who thanks God that you are saved tonight? Amen? If anything, I want to impress you. Leave this building with a, with a, a new appreciation of all that God has afforded to us as His firstborn sons. Amen? Now we can sing that song with gutso. We are heirs of the Father. We are joint heirs with the Son. We are firstborn sons of His kingdom. We are family. We are one. Amen? When you sing that on Sunday, sing it with renewed appreciation. Amen? I am chosen in Him. Acts 17, Paul on Mars Hill said this to the Athenians. He said, your poets, one of your poets have said, For in Him we live and move and have our being. Underline, have our being. It should have been highlighted there, sorry. In whom do you have your being? In Christ. Remember, you've got to be before you do. You've got to have identity before you have function. Your identity must be restored before your destiny will begin to roll itself out. In whom do you live and move and have your being? In Christ. In the firstborn son. I have identity. I have being. I have lived. I have life. I live. And I have mobility only so long as I stay within the identity of me, his firstborn son, in him, the firstborn son. Amen? In him I live, in him I move, and in him I exist. The New American Bible says, in him I exist. I don't have any identity outside of Christ. He chose me in him from before the foundation of the world. For as much, verse 28 says, we are the offspring of God. I like that. Tell your neighbor you are the offspring. Begotten. Like the first one was begotten of the Father. You are begotten. And Paul says to these guys, for as much as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead, deity, is like unto gold, silver, stone, graven by art or man's devices. Listen carefully. What he's saying is, because when he walked there in Mars Hill, he saw all the idols. And on the one idol, he said to an unknown God, says, Him I make known to you. He's looking at all of the artifacts of religion. And he says, hey, in him, your poet said, one of your guys said, in him we live and move and, and have our being. So if indeed we are the offspring of God, we are the sons that issue forth from God, how can deity, how can the Godhead be likened unto these things that you have made? In other words, what they were reducing, the nature, identity, the glory of God, the reputation of God, to some idol that was beneath the image of God. So, listen carefully. The principle is, the same can apply to us if we occupy an idolatrous position mentally, where we think of ourselves less than what God has made us to be. Then, we are idolatrous. Paul says a man must not think himself more than he ought to. But listen, there's an ought to. There is a way that you should be thinking of yourself. Amen? So don't think less of yourself. Don't reduce the grandeur of a glorious God. In their case, it was reducing that to some handmade idol. 
And Paul speaks to them about that. But for us, let us not by our lifestyles, our thinking, our mentality, give evidence that we are reducing all that God is to something lesser. Right? So, when you say, make this practical, when the rubber hits the road, and you become anxious by your needs, what you are saying is, I'm not a son. What you are saying is, my father doesn't care for me. What you are saying is, firstborn, all of this talk is grand and glorious, but it is no practical expression. When your circumstance challenges your identity, you must never ever take your identity based upon your experience. Your identity is always must be firmly rooted in the revelation that you have. Amen? Otherwise, I like what Paul Johnson said. He said this, If you consistently focus upon what God is not doing for you, you create an environment of offense. If you consistently focus on what He's not doing in terms of meeting your needs, you live as an orphan and you create a mindset of stumbling in your heart in reference to God's capacity to take care of you. How many times have we all walked this road? Eh? Where is God now when I need Him the most? All of that are expressions of the orphan mindset. But a firstborn son knows, while I might have challenges, I'm at total peace, I'm at total rest, my God will come through for me. Right? So in my thinking and in how I talk and how I behave, I don't reduce the glory, the status and privilege He is leading me into, into a lesser idolatrous position that questions His nature, that questions His ability to come through. And verse 29 is very clear. At times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now He commands men everywhere to do what? To repent. And the word repent means adjust your mentality. Adjust your thinking. Let me just say this. I know we've all had times where we've questioned the ability of our Father to come through for us. And at times of that ignorance, God winked at. But now that these truths are being restored to the body of Christ, we don't have any excuse but to trust Him fully. Amen? To trust Him completely. Amen? We are God's firstborn sons. Amen? Identity is so, so, so very, very, very crucial. How do you see yourself? Okay, put, put your notes away. How do you see yourself? Say, I'm God's firstborn. I'm an heir of God. I'm an heir. I'm a joint heir with Christ Jesus. All that He has access to, I do. Everything that I as a son need, my Father will take care of me. My sonship is an expression of His love. And His love is the most empowering feeling that I have. His love will cause me to overwhelmingly overcome. I will not negate my status and my identity in Christ by living, thinking, and behaving at a level beneath that. There are certain expectations that firstborn status demands. A certain profile, if you would, that the firstborn son has in the spirit. 
Never again will I question my father's capacity to provide for me. Even if sometimes I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes go through a wilderness. Yet I know all things are working for my good. What good? To develop the maturity of firstborn reality. Thinking, behavior within me. It's to that purpose that I'm called. And God will do everything to get me to that reality. Right? God will deal with the Egyptian mindset in me. Sometimes causing crises in my life. So that I can, I can come to an understanding of my firstborn status in God. And this is so, so very important. For authority will flow from identity. When you know who you are in Christ, you can whisper. Don't need to shout, rant and rave. You can whisper. And things will happen and move. Because you are speaking not from, from the premise of a desire simply to, to see things change in your world and using volume and amplitude and all kinds of dramatic expressions to get things done. But you are speaking from a very strong position of knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. Numbers 33, I'll share this with you. The 10th spy said, We are like grasshoppers in in our sight, and so are we in their sight. Whatever you are in your own sight, that reality will persist of your view of your enemy's perception of you. If you have the wrong self-concept, you magnify your enemy. If you have a poor self-image, your enemy's strength, although weaker than you, will be made stronger than you simply because of your poor thinking. Your thinking either magnifies the devil or it makes the devil minuscule. Either blows him up or shrinks him. And the only the key is how you think. So set your mind on things above where you are seated with Christ Jesus. For your life is hidden with him in God. And when Christ who is our life appears, you shall appear with him in, in glory. Never ever let any circumstance, problem from this day forward be set you. No matter, and I'm saying this prophetically, no matter what it is, whether it's personal need, personal attack on your character, or whatever, nothing can kill the will of God in a firstborn son. Joseph is proof of this. The will of the Lord will, will triumph for your life. You just, you know, Joseph is a fascinating case study of firstborn, which we will do. He had multitude, multiplicity of experiences, not so? A range of different things. Everything he conquered. Everything, no matter what the enemy threw against him. There was an identity firmly lodged within his heart. I think prophetically, by virtue of the fact that he was given the coat of many colors. He knew, I'm firstborn. He knew. I have the right of headship among all these 12 brothers. Right? He knew their welfare is linked to me. He knew if I posture myself correctly, I'm going to be their salvation at the end of the day. No matter how they treat me. No matter how they respond to me. He knew in every situation of life. You can lie about me, kill me, misrepresent me. No matter who you are. Even if you're Potiphar's wife, 
all things work together for my good. Because I'm called by a higher order. Everything I experience is only building into one thing. My identity and my function in the earth as God's firstborn son. God's firstborn son. You must read First Chronicles 5 verse 1 and 2. It says Reuben forfeited birthright privilege. It was given to Joseph. He acts as the custodian of the will and the nature of God. That's why a firstborn son can look at other brothers and say, you sold me a check. God sent me. I forgive like, like, like it's going out of fashion. No grudges. No unforgiveness. I simply represent my father everywhere I am. All my needs are, are met. The, the biggest thing for me about firstborn reality, you know, the biggest concern I have is that the, the main thing about it is this. A firstborn is given the right to steward global purpose. It's a privilege of executing the Father's executive will in the earth. And that's where we want to be. Do you want to be a Joseph in your world? Hmm? Joseph never ever let the prison define who he was. He never let the pit define who he was. So many things the enemy threw at him to dent his identity. He, he surmounted every single one. Right? It's like he knew he was seated on the throne already. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen. And the will of the Lord for his life consistently triumphed. And the same can be true of you and me. Say it one more time before we go. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with his son Christ Jesus. Say he is the firstborn in me. Say as he is, so am I in this world. Let me just challenge you for the very last time. The only way this is going to happen is if you see him in the scriptures like this. As you see him, you become, let it become your dominant default mindset. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. The Lord bless you.